to see you today on the beginning of this new series called The Next Level. We uh, are so excited about these next few weeks as we kick off this series from the book of Leviticus. Yes, the book of Leviticus. Yes, and I love it. I love it. You know, there's certain passages of Scripture that Christian people are kind of afraid of. And uh, if you've done much Bible reading, the book of Leviticus may be that book of the Bible for you. Um, a lot of times when people begin to read the Bible, they start at the beginning with the book of Genesis, yes. And you go Genesis, you go Exodus, you're like, oh, I'm digging the story. You know, I got the fall of humanity, I got Jacob, I got uh, Joseph, I got Moses in the book of Exodus, Leviticus. Oh, what just happened, Leviticus. Leviticus is not a narrative, it's not a story, it is the, the, the book uh, in those first five books of the Old Testament that outlines the worship of God, really. The word Levi, the Levites were the priests, so Leviticus has to do with the worship, the leadership of worship. So we're going to be looking at a lot of great topics from the book of Leviticus and I think the book of Leviticus probably is the most misunderstood book of the Bible. Atheist people, critics of the Bible, love to quote the book of Leviticus, okay? And we'll talk more about that later. But, but there's going to be a lot of great themes. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about the holiness of God. We're going to talk about a whole host of things. Today, though, we're going to talk about something that I know is going to touch your heart. It's about the power of relationships. Did you know that the Old Testament has so much to say to us about relationships? The book of Leviticus has to say some powerful things to us about relationships. And relationships are so important because the highest highs and the lowest lows in our lives can come in and through relationships. Would you agree with that? Maybe some of the most climactic moments of your life, you were like, my relationships were dialed in, they were good, everything was awesome, and then some other times maybe, you know, up and down, up and down. I was talking to somebody this week, and they said, people suck. And I said, yeah, that's true. Sometimes people do suck. They do. Yeah, they do. But relationships can be amazing too. And so we want to talk today about what the Levitical order has to say to us about relationships. I've called this message Relationship Goals because these are goals that we should have for all of our relationships. And relationships have to be worked on. I mean, you cannot put those things on autopilot. If you're going to have great relationships you got to work on them. If you're going to have a great marriage, you got to work on it. If you're going to have great relationships at church, you have to do more than show up and sing a few songs and run out the back door before the offering is received. You know? you got to come and get involved. You know, Relationships require some work. So what are the things that God would have us to work on in our relationships? I'm convinced that our accomplishments in life are often tied to our relationships um, I'm convinced that our spiritual growth many times is tied to our relationships. Look at the closest five friends in your life, and it has been said that'll determine the destiny, the direction 
of your life. So who have you surrounded yourself with? Let's see what the book of Leviticus has to say to us. Let's open to the 19th chapter in our devices and our Bibles today. Leviticus 19, 16 uh, and following. You must not go about spreading slander among your people. You must not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will, you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. And I want us to see four aspects, four relationship goals today. You ought to write these things down on your notes because I will build my relationships through, first of all, love. Love. And if you look at verse 18, he says, We are to love our neighbor as our, say it with me, as ourselves. Yes. You might know that verse from the Gospels. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, Jesus quotes Leviticus 19. And one of the great ways to understand the Old Testament is to read the New Testament. Because when you read the whole counsel of God's word, it's like this. Over and over and over and over again, the Old Testament is quoted in the New. I've read so many passages, I was like, that is so profound. That is so amazing. Where did Paul get that? Oh, he got that from the book of Deuteronomy. He got that from Leviticus. Oh, okay. And the Bible is interwoven. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Mark chapter 12. In fact, let me just read this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Jesus was asked by a scribe, what is the greatest commandment? And they thought, oh, we're going to trick Jesus. We got Jesus. The Jewish people had more than 600 different laws they were to keep. How do you even start determining which is the greatest when you have a list of 613 laws? I mean, come on. They're like, oh, we got Jesus. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he quotes Leviticus 19. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all of the law is summed up in these two commands. In other words, if you can love God and if you can love people, you will understand the spiritual life that God wants and intends for you to have. You know, it's interesting because when you look at the Ten Commandments, four of the Ten Commandments have to do with loving people. And six of them, excuse me, with loving God, six of them have to do with loving people. So if you understand love God and love people, all of the Ten Commandments make sense. How about that? All of the law makes sense if you can love God and you can love people. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, which is the Shema. And that's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's like an ancient prayer. Hebrew people today still pray the Shema. People that are like real Jewish people. It's kind of like the Lord's Prayer in Christianity. In the Lord's Prayer. A lot of Christians pray the Lord's Prayer every day or regularly or at church or whatever it may be. Jewish people pray the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. 
It's a very famous passage of scripture. So Jesus pulls these two verses together and he answers the question. And the scribe that thought he was going to trick Jesus says, I think he got that right, Jesus. That's amazing. But love is the center. You can't understand the Christian life if you don't have love. Love is the foundation. We are here today not under religious obligation. We are here because of love. We're here because of love. And this is echoed all the way through the scriptures, the great love of God. Now, who's your neighbor? Back to Leviticus. Who's your neighbor? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Notice he doesn't say love your friends as you love yourself. Love your family as great as it is to love your family. Love your neighbor. Well, I don't know about you, but I got some crazy neighbors. It's a lot harder to love a neighbor than it is to love a friend. Not the same. A neighbor, simply stated, is Jesus' way of saying we ought to love everybody. A neighbor. Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan to illustrate this concept. Uh, Your neighbor is the people who... Uh, can be anybody. It can be people that are easy to love, but it can many times be people that are hard to love, the least likely people to love. And see, God is challenging us because it is spiritual kindergarten to be challenged to love people who are lovable. That's easy. You can be an atheist and love people who bless you. Amen? That's easy. I want you to love everybody that makes you feel good. I mean, how much, spiritual, how much spiritual energy does it take to do that? Come on now. But let me, let me test your spirituality a little bit. Can you love the people that drive you nuts? Can you love the people that are unlovable? See, that, that, that's the measure. That's the measure of love. Love your neighbor, he says, as you would love yourself. And many times the way we love others has to do with our own self-perception. If we don't love ourselves, we don't have anything else to give to anybody else. We, we should love ourselves. I'm not talking about being selfish or self-indulgent. I'm just saying that, that we have a calling and a gifting. And, and God has created us. God has formed us. We are amazing because we are greatly loved by God. And if we understand that we are greatly loved by God, then we should truly love ourselves. Jesus is not talking about being just full of self. He's talking about just acknowledging, man, I'm gifted. I'm called. I'm blessed. I'm strengthened. I'm adored by God. And because of that, I love myself. And when I love myself, I've got something to pour out to other people. I'm going to love you as I love myself. Now, it's easier to love yourself, right? To love yourself means, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, a lot of times it can be, we, we, we do what we enjoy. We do what we like. But can we love others in the same way that we actually like and enjoy our own selves? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the beginning. And so I want to give you a little resolution for each one of these four 
points today, and here's the resolution of love. I resolve to love people who are difficult and different. I resolve to love people who are difficult and different. Two categories. People who are different. People who have different faiths than us. Can we love them? People who have different political persuasions. Can you love people who vote differently than you? Can you, can you love people who are different? Can you love people who are difficult? People that are ornery. People that are moody. People that are unpredictable. People that are whatever it may be. People that are annoying and rude. That is the measure of our capacity to love. It's not to love the people that are easy to love. So loving others is the outward manifestation. Now here's the thing. Check this out. If I love God, you may or may not see that. Now yes, I, I believe that if I love God, you'll see some things in my life that will be different and things like that. That's true. But guess what? When I love somebody else, that is love that is seen. Many times this love is unseen. This love is greatly seen. And love should be vertical and horizontal. It should be both. And when I do this kind of love, guess what? People look at my life and go, where did that come from? Because that's not normal. That's not human. And that's when we get to point people to the greatness of Christ. That's where the gospel message is so powerful and so wonderful because when people see something in us, we want to give the glory to God. We don't, we don't want everybody at the office just to think, man, he is such a great guy. You know, We want people to say, he serves a great God. And people see the Lord in our life when we love our neighbor as ourselves. When you love the person... I'm on this office thing today. When you love that person in your office that everybody knows is difficult, that's what a real Christian is. People are like, you know what? I kind of respect her because the rest of us want to strangle her. But she just keeps, you know? And you know what? When people are difficult, everybody sees it. Amen? We don't have to talk about it because everybody knows it's true. So you want to show somebody your faith? Be kind and gracious to the people that drives everybody else nuts. People will be like, whoa. And it's love. And this is what Jesus was discussing when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is proactive. Now, how do I do it? Love is proactive. God's put some people in your life that he wants you to love. Not too long ago, one of our acquaintances lost their job. Family was having some trouble with some groceries and you know they were down we took them to dinner we gave them some grocery money we loved on them we prayed for them Christian people are always looking for opportunities to show love let's be the people in our community that are always trying to love people and sometimes you can love people just by words of encouragement it doesn't have to always be financial sometimes it may be but sometimes it's just patting somebody on the back and telling them that you love them and you're proud of them and 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 we can show love in that way as well. Uh, let the Holy Spirit lead us. And, and let's, let's be people of great love. 
Let's be people of great love. Now, there's a second word I want us to look at, and it's the word edify. Because God wants us to love people who are difficult and different, but he also wants us to edify others. And if you look at verse 16, he says, You must not go about spreading slander among your people. You must not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. And the opposite of slander is edify. So instead of tearing people down, I am building people up, and that's what edification is. God wants us to use our words when we really love. When we really love, we're trying to build people up, not tear them down. Now look at this word slander. The word slander actually can also be translated gossip. Okay? And I was asking myself this week, I was studying this passage, I was like, why does it say you must not jeopardize your neighbor's life? I was like, God, that sounds kind of extreme. And then it occurred to me, when we slander people, when we gossip about people, we stir people up to be against the other person. So I think what Leviticus is saying to us is, don't go around talking bad about people and bringing division and making people choose sides and, and bringing about extreme circumstances and situations. Don't, don't go stir people up. That's what he's saying. I've been around groups of people before that, and I know you have too, where one person gets upset and then they go and find five sinful sympathizers that will listen to whatever it is they want to stay and then they want to come back to the other person that they're mad at and they want to say everybody feels the same way well really all that happened was one person got their feelings hurt and went and stirred another group up but it all started with that one person and he says don't 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 be about slander don't do that. Don't slander people. Don't gossip. Slander loves company. Because to slander people, you got to have people that will listen to you. Don't do it. We cannot be people of love and edification if we slander. He says, don't get everybody worked up. And the, I love the Proverbs. It says in chapter 10, verse 18, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. So the person that has to go around talking bad about other people, the person that when a certain subject comes up, they have to give you their 10-point outline on why they can't stand that person, that's a fool. That's a fool. No restraint. Slander, gossip, gossip, slander. And slander spreads like a wildfire. We should pour water on that fire, when we begin to sniff that spirit, we need to do everything we can to put the fire out. Do you know we can even say nice things about people that we don't like? <laughs> I mean, people that kind of drive us crazy, we can, listen, we can edify people. There might be nine things about that person that drive you crazy, but there's one, there's one thing that's admirable. We can say that one thing. We can edify. We can do that. What's that one thing? What's that one thing? Now, I love this last part. Look back at the verse again, verse 16. He says, you must not jeopardize your neighbor's life. And then look at this. He says, I am the Lord. 
Why does I am the Lord go with you must not jeopardize your neighbor's life and you shouldn't spread slander? It's because God wants us to realize that slander is a spiritual issue. God is in the picture. When we talk bad about other people, that's not just between me and them. That's between me, them, and who? The Lord. He's saying, listen, we we all get tempted, right? We all get tempted to, to say our piece and say our stuff and whatever. But remember the Lord. Remember God. Before you say that, remember the Lord. I am the Lord, he says. Don't forget it. So I am the Lord means that we live by God's great standards. I am the Lord means I can trust God to settle the score and that I don't have to. I am the Lord means we don't have to say what we would like to say because we don't want to offend the Lord. I am the Lord means God will give you the strength to show love even when you are not feeling it. I am the Lord. Let's remember the Lord when we want to open our mouths. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Because he realizes it's not natural. We need God. Amen? We need God in order to have our lips and our mind and our mouth all moving the same direction as where God wants it to be. And uh, we can slander people sometimes by saying, but it's true. Did you know that you don't have to say everything that is true? No, it is. It is. You don't have to say everything that's true. In fact, sometimes you shouldn't say everything that's true. Now, I realize there may be some times where you have to say that. But, but, but sometimes we hide under, well, it was all true, you know. And it may be true to us or whatever, our opinion. It may not be necessary, though. It might be true, but is it necessary? Or are you just dogpiling, you know? Listen, if somebody's going down, you don't have to jump on top, right? If they're going down, the, Lord, the Lord's going to take care of that. You don't have to, you, don't have to you know, open up some kung fu on that. I mean, just the Lord will take care of it. The Lord's got that. That's true. He says, don't, don't slander. And people will trust you and confide in you, and people will respect you when you're a person that doesn't say everything that, Many others would say. People will be like, I trust her. She, I, I, was, I was around her. She had an opportunity to say this, this, and this, and she didn't say it. I'd like to confide in her. That's what happens. It's awesome. So here's the statement. Here's the resolution. I resolve to build people up rather than tear them down with my words. I resolve to build them up. Love and edify. Here's the third thing. Forgive. It's impossible to be filled with the Spirit of God at the same time that we hold grudges against people. It's impossible for us to experience the joy of Jesus at the same time we are consumed by anger. And This is why Leviticus 19.17 says, Don't harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. And he uses the word grudge because a grudge is when we, a grudge is when we um, are scheming for the opportunity to get somebody back. We've all done that, haven't we? You know, oh man, 
I'm just going to wait for the perfect moment to put my two cents in. I can't wait. I've got a grudge. He says, don't, don't, don't harbor hatred. You know, when we hate people, we become what they are. We do back to them what they have done to us. That's why we don't live in hate. And I love this part right here. He says, rebuke your neighbor directly. Sometimes we rebuke people indirectly, like through everybody else, right? By talking to everyone else. It's kind of like Leviticus is saying, if you have a problem with somebody, go talk to them. Not everybody else in the neighborhood, right? Just go talk directly. I love the word, directly, not indirectly. Directly to that person. When husbands and wives talk, things are more likely to be resolved. When co-workers talk, resolution is more possible. When people don't talk, people hold grudges and hate each other. How many things could be resolved if people would just talk? Just talk. Well, they know how I feel. Are they a mind reader? They should know. Because I dropped some hints. Come on now. Come on. Talk directly. I love the message paraphrase of Leviticus 19.17. Don't secretly hate your neighbor. If you have something against him, get it out into the open. Otherwise, you are an accomplice to his guilt. You're wrong too. You're wrong too. Just go talk to him. Don't harbor hatred. You know, hatred that is built up over time grows like a cancer. It's nasty. It's sinister. Don't let it build up. Don't harbor hatred in your heart. So here's the resolution. I I resolve to release the person who has wronged me. Forgiveness. I want to walk in forgiveness. And closely related to forgiveness is extending grace. Because you'll never extend grace to somebody whom you cannot forgive. And he says in verse 18, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. Extending grace. What if we replaced revenge with grace? What is gra- grace is getting what you don't deserve. Extending grace. I know they don't deserve it. I know they're difficult. But God's called you to live by a higher standard. Extending grace. Extending grace. Instead of praying for people's damnation, maybe we should pray for their salvation. (laughs) Amen? Yeah. So let's don't don't be consumed by revenge. Let, Let God settle the score. You know the greatest example that I can think of in the Old Testament is King David. King David has been anointed. He's going to be the successor to Saul. And Saul doesn't like it. And Saul tries to kill David. And he chases him around for a few years. David's hiding out in caves and, you know, living like an exile and all that. And David has two opportunities to kill Saul. And he doesn't do it. Why would David not 
defend himself. Why, why would David not take... This guy's his enemy. He's trying to kill him. Because David respected God's authority. He said, you know what? If Saul is going to fall, it's going to be between him and God. I don't, have to, I don't have to put my thumb on the scale. God's going to take care of Saul. If Saul ruins his own life, which he did, Saul is going to do what Saul does, and he's going to jump off the cliff. But I'm not going to be a part of trying to go around the person that God has anointed to be the king of Israel. And if God chooses to not have Saul as the king of Israel, then I'm ready to go. But until then, I'm not going to do it. Extending grace. Man, who in your life does God want you to extend grace to? Let God settle the score. Extending grace doesn't suggest that you weren't hurt or wronged. It simply means that you have too much ahead of your life to expend more energy looking back. Extending grace doesn't mean that you're weak. In fact, it takes a lot of strength and spiritual stamina to extend grace. Extending grace helps you gain a glimpse into what God does with our own sin. When he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and to rise from the grave again. God wrote our sin off through the person of Jesus and he extended grace to us. He extended grace. So, I resolve to extend grace when I want to get even. It's true. People suck. Relationships are hard. Relationships can bring the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. But let's determine in our spirit that we will show love, that we will edify, that we will forgive, and that we will extend grace. Because that is the standard that God has called us to. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer?